to Exodus chapter 20. It's on your large print sheets. Exodus chapter 20. If you're looking at a few Bible, you'll find on page 100 and 101. Page 100 and 101. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Of course, a very familiar passage, the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land, which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we start consideration of the third commandment and particularly what the third commandment requires. What does the third commandment require? It requires a reverent, respectful, a reverent use of all by which God reveals himself. The third commandment requires a reverent, a respectful use of everything by which God reveals himself. Now, we've taken a break for a few weeks from the Ten Commandments to uh, talk about uh, 1 Timothy 3, 15, and 16. So let me take just a moment to remind us of the law of God, 
And the law of God, as you may recall, has three basic uses. With the initials DDT, it demonstrates that we are sinners. It drives us either further into our sin or to Christ. And thirdly, it teaches us how to live, DDT. As we look at an overview then of the first three commandments, we're reminded that the first commandment gives us the who of worship. Who is it? that we are to worship, who is the object of our worship. It is the Lord your God. It is the true and living God. It is the actual God, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, the God who has redeemed us, the God who has made us, the God who has chosen us. And so he is the object of our worship. The second commandment gives us the what or the means of our worship. What are we to do? We are to do those acts, those practices, engage in those elements and those alone that have been commanded by Christ. And so the regulative principle of worship, we are to keep God's worship pure We're not to add to it. We're to keep it entire. We are not to take away from it. And so the what of worship, and particularly, of course, the worst example of unauthorized worship is worshiping by means of an image. And now today we come to the how of worship in terms of the third commandment. The how or the manner and the attitude of our worship. How are we to worship? My friends, we are to worship reverently, respectfully, with a sense of the awe of God, the awesomeness of God, the the knowledge, the realization of who God is. And so this now is the positive side of what we see here in the third commandment where it says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We are told positively we are to use God's name and all those things by which he reveals himself, we are to use those things reverently. And so today then, we want to look at the reverent use of of God's revealed character. The reverent use of God's revealed character. So the first thing we consider here is to look at what do we mean by God's revealed character. See, when it says here, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or you shall therefore treat his name with respect, The name is bound up with who God is. That's the point here. And so it reveals things about who he is. So let's talk about, first of all then, God's name, or shall we say God's names. First of all, God. What does it mean, God? Elohim. Well, it means the deity in contrast to man and in contrast to other created things. God is above us. God is God. 
And therefore, when it says here, the Lord your God, we're referring to the deity. But notice also, he is identified as the Lord, or Yahweh, or Jehovah. The personal, proper name of Israel's God, Yahweh, the great I Am. You remember when the Lord spoke to Moses in Exodus 3, when he called him from the burning bush, and he said, I am that I am. I'm the very ground of being. I'm the very... I'm, I'm the one that gives the, the existence to all things. I am that I am. I am self-existent. And so it is Yahweh. It is Jehovah. It is the Lord, the personal proper name. I am the Lord your God. But there are other names for God as well. For example, he is called the Most High. In Numbers chapter 24... In Numbers chapter 24 and verse 16, in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 16, we read, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty who falls down with eyes wide open. We see this also in in other places. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 8 of the song of Moses there. in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. When the Most High, it's it's a name of God, the Most High, divided their inheritance to the nation's When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. He is the Most High. He is also Adonai, which means Master, or Sovereign, or Lord. So when you see Lord in the Old Testament, if it has big capital L, small capital O, small capital R, small capital D, That's a reference to Yahweh or Jehovah, the I am that I am. But if it is just capital L, small o, small r, small d, that's a reference to Adonai, the one who is the master. And he's also known as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. And this is something that is found, for example, in the book of Job, 31 times in the book of Job we find him referred to as El Shaddai or God Almighty. In Exodus uh, chapter 6 and verse 3 verse 2, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. He is the Almighty One, El Shaddai. But in addition to the names of God that we are to treat with respect, we also have the titles, the titles. For example, Lord of Hosts. Lord of Hosts. For example, in Psalm 24, in Psalm 24, 
In Psalm 24, verses 8 and 10, we read, Actually, here we read in terms of, of um, uh, being the one who is the, uh, verse 10 in particular, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. What does it mean to be the Lord of hosts? It means to be the Lord of armies. That is to say, the, the angelic armies. 88 times in the prophecy of Jeremiah we find Lord of hosts being used. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9 as well. This is pointing to God's mighty power in his immediate command of his angels. He's also referred to as the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel, showing his special relationship with his people. He is referred to in places as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember Father Abraham and then his son Isaac and his son Jacob. In other words, a God who is concerned personally with his people. Jesus uses that to talk about the fact that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. The Lord is referred to as the Creator, the one who has made all things. He's referred to as the King, indeed, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the King of the nations, the King of saints. He's referred to as the Father of mercy, showing God's great compassion, his merciful kindness. In Psalm 68, he is called the God of salvation. In Hebrews 13, the God of peace. In Psalm 65, the hearer of prayer. And one of the ones I think is absolutely fascinating, he's called the fear of Isaac. Isn't that interesting? The fear of Isaac, the one of whom to be afraid because he is the Almighty. So, we see something of God's revealed character in his names and in his titles, but also in terms of his attributes, his characteristics. Now, I'm not going to ask you, of course, during our time of worship to recite answer number four to the catechism question, what is God? But I'm sure you remember it. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And so we see then the attributes of God. So these are all ways by which God reveals his character. This is who God is. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not somebody that man created He is the true and the living God. So, how are we then to make reverent use of God's revealed character? How are we to make reverent or respectful use of these things? Well, first of all, notice we're to make use of these things. So it's a requirement. We're to 
we're to do it. We're actually to make use of these matters, which requires that we think about God. Jesus said that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we are to think about him. We're to meditate on him. What does it mean to make reverent use? We are to have holy and reverent thoughts about God. We're to mull in our mind the names of God. What does it mean that God is God? What does it mean that God is Yahweh? What does it mean that God is the Most High, that he is Adonai, Master, Sovereign, that he is God Almighty? What does it mean that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What does it mean that he's the Father of mercies? What does it mean that he's the hearer of prayer? What does it mean that he is the fear of Isaac? What does that mean for us? And so we're to mull in our mind the names of God and think about his titles and consider his attributes. And what is the end results? What are the end results from this? When we think on God, first of all, we admire God. Or we should. Maybe we don't. But we should. We should admire God. We should think how consistent and lovely he is in the beauty of holiness. Just in terms of who he is. That from all eternity God has existed. That he needed nothing He did not need you or me. He needed nothing. He was perfectly content in and of himself from all eternity. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what does. But we should admire him for who he is and the beauty of holiness. We should fear God. That is to say, we should be aware of who he is as the Lord of hosts, as the Most High God, totally transcendent, totally above us, as the Holy One, totally separate from us. Not like, we are not like God. We are not like God. He is not like us. Psalm 50, where the people thought that God was just like them. It's not true. And so we are to fear God. We are to love God. We are to embrace him as he is and as he has revealed himself. And we are to desire and delight in God. Considering him to be the highest delight and chief desire of our soul. So, first of all, we're to think. We're to think. We're to consider. We're to contemplate. We're to mull it over in our mind. But we also, as we, as we have a reverent use of God's revealed character, we're also to have holy and reverent speech. Now, often this is done in prayer and worship. So this is where we usually think about this. But in general, too, There should be a mentioning of God 
in a holy and reverent way. Now later on, Lord willing, in this series on the Third Commandment, we'll talk about some of the ways in which that is not done, which God's name is blasphemed by people, in which God's name is used flippantly, irreverently, unthinkingly. Oh God, just without thinking. Or God bless you, just because someone sneezed, not thinking. But even in general terms, apart from worship and prayer, when we have opportunity to bear witness to who God is in the workplace, with our friends, with our relatives, with conversation at the store, wherever it may be, whenever we use the name of God, it should be done in a holy and reverent way. So I have two points of application. The first is this. I want you to think about how you can promote the reverent use of God's name. I want you to think about how you, you, sitting here today, you, yes you, can promote the reverent use of God's name. How can you do so at home? How can you do so at work or school? How can you do so in terms of your recreational activities, including TV watching? I'm not going to be any more explicit than that. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do his work. But I want you to think, how can you promote the reverent use of God's name? And secondly, by way of application, rejoice in union with Jesus and his reverent use of God's name which is so necessary for salvation. Rejoice today in union, being united with Jesus, and his reverent use of God's name, which is so necessary for salvation. We read today from John, or read all of John 17. This is, as you probably are aware, Jesus' high priestly prayer in which he prays very explicitly. He prays not for the whole world. He doesn't pray for everybody. Did you notice that? He's very explicit. He prays for his elect, not for the world in general. and, And this is really in anticipation of the sacrifice he is going to offer at the cross, this high priestly prayer. He speaks of his perfect union with the Father and union with his people. 
But notice the references in John 17 to the name of God. Verse 6, I have manifested, I have revealed thy name to the man whom thou hast given me out of the world. The Son of God, who is perfectly and infinitely united with the Father, glorifies the Father's names and titles and attributes. I have manifested thy name, Jesus says. And in doing so, Jesus powerfully and savingly reveals the Father to the elect. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thy name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. In other words, everything that God is, the name of God, his names, his titles, his character, his attributes, everything about God, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. All of this revealed character is employed to the nth degree, to the fullest degree for our salvation. Jesus says, keep through thine own name who thou art, what thou art doing, keep those whom thou hast given me. Look at verse 26. And I have declared to them thy name and will declare it that the love with which thou lovest me may be in them and I in them. By the way, this is a reference to Psalm 22, the Psalm of the Cross. But in that Psalm of the Cross, Towards the end, we read, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. And so Jesus declared the Father's name to us. And Jesus will continue to declare the Father's name to us throughout all eternity. Notice at the end of verse 26 here, the notion of love, that the love with which thou lovest me. That's an infinite love that we can't even begin to understand. The love, I mean, it's one thing in human terms, the love between a father and a son. But between the eternal Father and His eternally begotten Son, we cannot begin to scratch the surface. Notice the notion of love. In order that, I have declared to them thy name and will will declare it, in order that, the love with, with which thou lovest me may be in them and I in them. 
And perhaps we could even sum it up in verse 12, where Jesus says in verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those whom thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition or destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Only a divine person could keep the disciples. Satan, as Jesus said, Satan said to Peter, uh, or uh, Jesus said to Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. He wants to grind you to power. He wants to destroy you. But Peter, I have prayed for you. Only a divine person could keep the disciples. And Jesus does so again. Not only, on the ba- not only through his sacrifice, but through all that God is and all that which he reveals to us. It is through thy name, Jesus says, that I have kept them. And so, my friends, I call you to Jesus today. I call you to faith in Jesus, and I call you to rejoice in union with Jesus and his reverent use of God's name which was necessary for your salvation and for mine. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? Our Father, we pray now that thy Holy Spirit would take this word, this seed, and implant it in the hearts of each one hearing this message. May it germinate. May it spring forth and bring forth an abundant harvest and all for the glory and honor of Christ, the one who loves us, the one who has saved us, the one who keeps us, both now and into the everlasting ages and all through thy name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.